Hi. 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 Hello. I'm curious about. I'm curious about. I'm curious about. I'm curious about building open, authentic, loving relationship. I'm curious about jealousy. I'm curious about polyamory. Does it just mean that you're fucking all the time? How can I tell my parents that my partner is already married? I'm curious about... How do you know when you're too busy to have another relationship? I'm curious about dominant and subordinate relationships. I'm curious about sexual health. How can relationships relationships evolve with people as they grow and change? Welcome to the Curious Fox Podcast. For those challenging the status quo in love, sex, and relationships. My name is Effie Blue. And I'm Jacqueline Misla. And as we wrap up Pride Month, although we will never end our pride, Mm -hmm. we wanted to chat with the co-host of the podcast, Queers Next Door, Lee Montavon, about her big, beautiful, complicated queer life. After decade-long career, marriage, and motherhood, Lee went on a journey to connect more deeply with her truth, resulting in divorce, sex dungeons, polyamory, a new career as a sex coach, a reconnection with an old flame, and now a monogamous relationship with her partner who just gave birth to her first child, fathered by a close gay male friend, all while raising her nine-year-old child, managing a coaching practice, co-hosting a weekly podcast, and writing about sex and relationships for Hustler magazine. That level of complexity sounds awfully (laughs) familiar to me. I wonder where I've heard it before. (laughs) It's so funny because during the interview, there were so many moments where I was like, me too, me too. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) it's true. I mean, I obviously am intimately familiar with your your life and I thought there could be no other life as complicated. And then I met Lee. I'm like, you too? (laughs) (laughs) More complicated even. I was like, oh. Oh, touche. You you beat me there. You know, what's interesting, though, is in the conversation that we had with Lee, something that she said that really resonated was that my life sounds complicated, but it Mm -hmm. doesn't feel overwhelming. So logistically complicated, certainly. I travel around with a knapsack like a child of divorced parents. Mm -hmm. But it was also filled with ease because I get different needs met, different parts of myself fed. Mm -hmm. And I also think what is true for me is that I have a high tolerance for complexity. True story. I think that's true. I think when I think that's true for you, and I think it also resonates with me that, that I think, uh, you know, we talk about tolerances a lot on the show. We talk about tolerance for ambiguity and tolerance for risk. And, and I think these are really important things to know as a part of your kind of know thyself work in your life. And I think tolerance to complexity is definitely an indicator for how and if you would thrive in in a non-monogamous relationship. And personally, I don't seek complexity. I I seek Mm -hmm. ultimately, I would love simplicity. Like I, I seek simplicity, but complexity just doesn't deter me in any way. I'm, I'm not going to not do the thing that I want to do or build the thing that I want to build because really the only way to do it is through some complex navigation. It just doesn't deter me. I don't wake up in the morning and think about how can I complicate my life. I'm just not deterred by complexity. (laughs) So yes, that sounds true. And being the person who has observed the last four years of your life, for the folks who are new to Curious Fox, let me give you a quick snapshot around the origin story. So Curious Fox started off as a networking event. Effie started off your career as a relationship coach 
and some advice that you got was, you know, to get your name out there, you should just do some networking, like just host an event. People could come and talk. And you define networking events as monthly panel discussion, which then turned into educator-led events and then an annual conference and then a podcast. And then, of course, you know, you can't stop there. In the midst of the complication of COVID in New York, you thought, you know what, I'm going to go back to the Mediterranean where there is ease. Mm -hmm. But then whilst there, decided to build a literal village of mud houses and yurts and planned programming. And so it feels as if this idea that you have in your mind where you're like, I just want ease. I don't wake up thinking of complicated. That is not the vision that I have of you. I actually (laughs) think that in the morning you're like, things feel a little bit too easy. I don't... What can I do to make this more complicated? <laughs> That's funny. I, I mean, I told, I, you know, those are super valid points. <laughs> I do think that I think somewhere inside of me, there is a, a need, there's like a intellectual and emotional masochism or a, or a masochist <laughs> part of me that needs to be fulfilled in some way. So I kind of find my way, uh, you know, I, I sort of find things to soothe and kind of feed those needs. Maybe I don't. No, I don't know. And then, you know, you're not wrong. I, I think it's not necessarily complexity that I seek. I think what I seek is truth and alternative ways that maybe things can be better. Like right now, I'm, I'm, I'm thinking about family, right? And I think, you know, the obvious, the status quo of, of how you would get to a family is you find a partner who also wants a family and you kind of get to know each other, decide it's the right thing. You date for a while and you get married and have a bunch of sex and ideally you'll make a baby or maybe even two and voila, here's your family, (laughs) which is like the easy, if you will, simple way to do it. (laughs) Sure. You're like, I could do that, but, (laughs) but I'm not convinced. I'm not, I'm just not convinced that it's the easy, like it is. The simple, it's like the thing that everybody else is doing, but is it mm-hmm. the optimum way to have a family? I'm mm-hmm. not convinced given the divorce rate out there, the amount of unhappiness and mm-hmm. complexity mm-hmm. within what seems like your simple mainstream lives. I mean, I think, you know, I have a, I have a theory that the two parents, two kids, white picket fans are one, under one roof. Though it's the done thing, I actually think it might, be more complicated than what I think might be like a sweet ratio is like three adults to one kid. If you're feeling ambitious, two kids, maybe even like take romance out of that equation, right? Really think about co-parenting and companionship and like safety and security and groundedness, which Mm. though it sounds more complicated on paper, I have a feeling that it might actually be simple in practice while you're in it. So mm-hmm. I don't know. I don't know. Those are the places where I see myself. <laughs> you know what I love about kind of being around you and watching your magic is that you are a visionary in that way, is that you kind of see what people are doing. And I'm like, I don't know if I want that. What if I had some gay baby daddies and we had, we lived in the same neighborhood and we raised this child. Like, and I love that. I think I am much more, 
I kind of stumble on the things that I want. I follow little little bits of hints of curiosity. I follow my internal GPS. And then to your point, once I'm in something and I'm like, oh, this feels right, even if it feels complicated, even if it hasn't been done before, mm-hmm. it just means, you know, people will say like, that's not a thing you do. I'm like, that's not a thing you do. You do. It's <laughs> <laughs> me. But I've never seen that done before. I'm like, you just wait then. You're about to be amazed. At that point, then I can like, I think the thing that I am good at is making what feels impossible possible. Like I can create the roadmap. I can create the structure. I can do the implementation, but I do love that you have the vision that without kind of even like right now to your point, this is theoretical. You're like, I Mm. think this could happen. And you would Mm. make, you can make this happen out of anyone. (laughs) You can make this happen. Yeah, no, I mean, I get, I, I think, I mean, first of all, I think this is where our partnership our collaboration works because visions and having good visions having like clear vision is great but if you can't make it happen like it's hard and I think I have so much respect and awe around how you do you're just like nothing is gonna stop me this thing is gonna get done you know there will be plenty of lists and 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 chart paper and colored pens but it will be done and it will be perfect I think I mean that's why I think Curious Fox is, is where it is because of that but I think you know a good balance of some vision and some execution it makes for an exciting life is what i is what i think it's an exciting life to your point i think what works about this and frankly this is what lee talks about in her story as well Mm -hmm. is having partners having people around you that are along for the journey, that are okay with some complication, that are okay mm-hmm. with it being messy, that are okay with the fact that it hasn't been done before, mm-hmm. but are saying and continue to check in with themselves and with each other to say, does this continue to feel right for you? Yeah. Mm-hmm. All right. Let's keep going. Let's figure keep this going. thing out. Let's let's keep yeah. going. That That is actually the standard by which you live your life and build your family and have your relationships mm-hmm. is does this feel right for all of us mm-hmm. as opposed to you know, what will it look like and what will people say? And so, yeah, much respect to Lee. Really, really just loved kind of, again, hearing her story, hearing the surprises kind of at the end of her journey or, mm-hmm. well, it's not the end of her journey. There's so much more to go, but at the end of the episode and kind of some of the surprises that, that we found out in terms of her relationship. And so I'm excited for you all to hear the interview. Yeah. Enjoy the interview, friends. So, hey, Lee, thank you for joining Mm. us. Thank you so much for having me. Yay. You are helping us wrap up Pride Month, and we thought no better than with our favorite queer next door. Hey. Yes. (laughs) Yeah. So we're really excited to have you on because you have, and I'm interested in a few minutes in asking you about your big, beautiful, complicated life, but you do have something that you have created and curated that I imagine is not what you envisioned when you were, when you were growing up and you make it work. And so let's start there. Can you tell us a little bit about the journey that it took to get you to this point in your life? Absolutely. Yeah. I got married when I was in my very early twenties. To a man, I, I was already out as queer, but you know, at the time I dated men and women, I ended up marrying a man. And, you know, we moved out to California from the Midwest. We had a baby and I had a corporate job. So even though there were things about our lives that weren't super conventional, all of that kind of was. But it was it was not a great marriage. And I was really burnt out at 
a job I had gotten basically as a temp job that turned into a career and then turned into, well, I want to have a baby and, you know, there's great health insurance, kind of the hard to leave. And so when our kiddo was two, I was like, I can't, I can't do this anymore. So I got divorced. And then one year later was like, okay, I handled half of this, you know, but I'm still doing this job that feels, this is just like not where I want to be. And so I left the job a year later. And so I was a, you know, a single parent of a small child getting back into dating and then also looking for something else to do. I I knew I wanted to do something that had more of a direct impact on people thought about going to, you know, be a licensed therapist or to go to nursing school. But both of those things seemed like a lot of school and a lot of money with a small child and no job. (laughs) (laughs) So I found sex coaching that way because it was a program that I could do online. It was a program that was, you know, shorter and more affordable and really the way that I wanted to work with people directly because... Mm folks have a hard time talking about sex and Mm -hmm. I don't. And I knew that that was a specific niche that I could fill. So I got into coaching. I was in polyamorous relationships from the end of my marriage for about the next six years. And then currently I am in my first monogamous relationship for years and years, a really excellent one that I've been in for about a year. And my partner just had a baby. And so that's a really exciting, like complicated thing. Yeah. When we got together and maybe I'll go into the how we used to know each other and then reconnected. But when we got together, she was trying to get pregnant through IVF because she had always wanted to have kids, wasn't in a relationship, but had a close male friend who's gay and also had always wanted to be a dad who she was going to co-parent with. And so when we started dating, she was trying to get pregnant. Um, and now she has a six-week-old. She did it. Oh. Yes, six-week-old. Yeah. Oh, That's my incredible. goodness. Ooh. Yeah. I know. And pregnant in the midst of COVID and all the things. Yep. Oh, my gosh. Yep. But congratulations. So exciting. Thank you. Yeah, it's, incredible. it's really exciting to do the baby thing again. You know, my kiddo is yeah. nine now. So mm. it's been a while. And how are they taking it? A sister, a brother, or a sister? What, what do they have? So I have one kid who is non-binary and then the baby's a girl. So this mm. is a little sister for, yeah. and you know, it's so cute because they, they've been asking for a long time and mm. you know, I hit a chunk of, <laughs> nope, like I'm not having another kid. So like, that's <laughs> not, you know, it's kind of a tell your dad to get on that. But that's yeah. also, <laughs> we're all in our forties too. It's not like, it's, <laughs> and so I think that they, they've been thrilled. That's incredible. Nice. Yeah, that's it's so funny. It's, it's a very similar story. Married, had a child, got divorced at two. She's a single child, and all, still is like, I want a sibling, and the uh-huh. same. I'm like, mm, and I'm you know, I'm married to a woman now. I'm like, so that wouldn't be easy process. And right. Like, yeah, no, that's not a, that's not a thing. Close relationships with cousins, lots of friends. Let's do yep. tons of sleepovers. But that's the closest that you're gonna get. <laughs> yep. So let me ask you a question: When you quit your job and you got divorced. What was it at that moment that you were pointing towards? At that point, it was almost anything else. (laughs) You know, I just was like, this hasn't felt good and this hasn't felt right for a while. And I think a lot of 
even though in my marriage, I, you know, I wasn't like, you know, I wasn't told I couldn't do something. I wasn't told I had to stay in my job or anything like that. But, you know, I was married to somebody who was very clear on what he wanted to do. And so I think because he had that clarity, like, you know, we moved so he could go to grad school because he knew what he wanted to do. I felt like, well, I can't leave my, you know, the security because I don't know what I want to do. I don't feel like I have room to try things out and fail. Mm -hmm. And so giving myself that chance to say, you can try this, you know, Mm -hmm. you don't have to know that this is going to be what you want to do for the rest of your life. Mm-hmm. And I think just like, yeah, giving myself that permission to try something was great because four years later, I, you know, I'm still, I'm still working as a coach, but I also, I do like three or four other things too. Yeah. That resonates with me so much. I same when I left my corporate job, I didn't know what I wanted to do exactly. And I spent some time like making my life as as sort of small as possible in terms of my expenses and just like dial everything down to buy myself as much time as possible to figure out what I want to do. And I think I, by the time I was ready to leave, I was just ready to leave. Like I didn't want to think about anything else. I just wanted to like leave and then figure it out afterwards. And, you know, similar, I ended up where you're at, which is I have a bunch of projects that are doing really well. And I, you know, they all give me different type of satisfaction and it works for me. So I totally get that. Yeah. And I appreciate that answer. I think that that is what I hear so much from our our Foxy audience, from folks, you know, my clients, that there are folks who say, I don't know what to do next. Like, I don't know what I am pointing towards. So I'm afraid to leave this because I don't know what I'm going towards. But then there comes that moment where you're like, whatever is coming has to be better than this. Yeah. Like the future and change is scary, but where I am feels insufferable. Like I feel like I am dying. And so I need to get out of here just to save my own life. And I don't know what that will mean and what that life will look like, but I know I need to do that. Yeah. And so it sounded like you were in that place. And then because of that, it also sounded like you embraced curiosity, like you embraced just the journey and and trying things. Yeah. It's almost hard to imagine being in a space where I was like, I don't know what I want to do because now I feel like I come up now. It's like, there's too many things I want to do and I can't choose, you know, now I just feel like every, every few weeks I'm like, Oh, well, if none of this works out, maybe I'll open a floral shop, you know, just like, I just like, we'll see something and be like, well, this is something I'm interested in. So I think that, you know, a lot led me to that place, but of being able Mm -hmm. just to feel like, there's so many things instead of yes. there's not one right thing. Yes. And I also, I think the big distinction that comes up from, like definitely came up for me. I, we, we talk a lot about it in my sessions with clients, which is the difference from running away from something versus running towards something. I think by mm-hmm. the time you're at this place, you're leaving your corporate job, you're like running away from it and you yeah. need to, you need to regulate and figure out what you're doing. So at some point you start running towards something and it just feels so much more, you're still running. It's still hard work, yeah. but at least you going running towards something, which feels so much more satisfying than you running away from something which just seems so draining. Yes. Mm -hmm. I think there's a, it's a, there's a scarcity and abundance kind Mm -hmm. of idea too. Yeah, exactly. So just like shifting that mindset. Yeah. I think one of the things that I hear from what you're saying too is when my daughter was younger, I realized that I was falling into the trap that my parents did and so many other folks where I was trying to help her be successful in the world. 
right? And what that translated to was saying like, be still, be quiet, you know, fall in line because then, you know, if you're too big, if you're too much, like that's going to be too much for the world. And certainly that was the message that I got. And I was frustrated with that message, but I passed it on. And then as she got older, I realized I can't prepare her to be successful in the world because frankly, the world will change as she gets older. I can only prepare her to know herself deeply and then she will navigate the world. And that's what it sounded like it happened to you is once you like got in tune with who you are, then that like GPS started like taking you to all these like cool, interesting places. Yes, 100%. I've also, well, and I've noticed like with my kiddo that, you know, obviously the pandemic has been really challenging for everyone, but there was something about them just being home for a year and they're part-time at their dad's, but most of the time it's just been the two of us here and we're both introverts. And so a lot of times it's us kind of on separate screens and then connecting later in the day. And, you know, at the beginning I had these worries, you know, like, well, this is what they should be doing. Not, not, you know, being on YouTube, they should be getting outside. We need to be doing more of something like what is the right thing to do, but then like giving them some freedom. They've been figuring things out about their gender. They've been doing some really awesome creative stuff where after, you know, watching all these YouTube videos, now they're getting into doing cosplay and they do it on their own. They do their full makeup and costuming just with stuff in the house. And then they record themselves making videos. And like, it's cool. And I don't think that there would be that room for creativity if it was, you know, this really strict go to school, do your homework, you know, schedule. And so while I'm thrilled, they're in camp now. So, and you know, they'll be back in regular school starting in the fall. So I'm thrilled that they're back getting the really important like interaction with other kids, but I don't think this year has been bad for them. I think it's actually been really positive. Can I ask some logistical questions? I'm curious. Absolutely. What is your living um, situation? All separate houses right now. So I live in a house with just with my kiddo for half of the week. And then they go to their dad and stepmoms. And then my girlfriend lives about like 20 minutes away, you know, with her daughter. And then her daughter right now, because obviously we're still, we're only six weeks in, also spends time with her dad, but they haven't, you know, I think they'll, they'll figure out a kind of schedule, obviously, as she gets older. But the idea is that it's, it's co-parenting with my girlfriend doing the majority, but also with dad still having like a dad role. Yeah. And so then I see my girlfriend uh, three to four times a week, usually. During the pregnancy, it was way less. She had a really, really tough pregnancy. So I was seeing her like maybe once a week because she was super sick for almost all of it. Poor thing. Uh, Hard. Yeah. So it's interesting. So as you're describing it, right? So if you're listening from the outside, people are going to look at that and say, that feels really complicated. I'm wondering for you, does it feel complicated? No. And I think that's, that's the magic, right? Because I have been in situations that have, that have looked complicated, but also felt complicated. Mm. And, and I think that's the difference is that this is so complicated on paper. 
especially where it was a few months ago, which is like, we're in the middle of a pandemic and I have a pregnant Mm. girlfriend, but we've only been together for, she's been pregnant since a month into our relationship. Like, but I think it's so much about just like the place I am in my life and the place where she is that we were able to be in a really good place to get into this relationship. And so that the logistics are just logistics. And when there's not all this external like stress and conflict, the logistics just are so much smaller than the rest of it, I guess. That's the thing I think about a lot is that it feels so easy. Yeah. What comes up for me is almost the complication is purposeful, meaning it looks complicated from the outside, but I think it provides purpose to all those people who are somehow interconnected with each other to collaborate towards this this sort of sustaining this common goal, which even though they're sort of very, very outside partners, they are also contribute. They're like supportive and contributing. And your ex-partner's wife, who's also like on the edge of this kind of constellation, and she's kind of stepping in and stepping up to support, you know, the bringing up of your child. So it just seems like almost a complication is just drawing people together and, and pointing them towards like one direction. This is, sounds like there's a lot of collaborative energy that's happening. Yeah, absolutely. And I, you know, I've always been of the opinion that like more love in a child's life is no matter what that looks like, even no matter what the relationship between the adults is, I think that's always been a positive. Yeah, I I was going to ask that because that that often comes up in our conversations, right? What about the children? Mm -hmm. Like, oh no, the children. The children. And so... Yeah. What has it been like to raise a child in this kind of family structure? And I'll only speak to myself, I think, and we've had my daughter on the show as a guest. And when Effie was asking her about the complications of my two different relationships and, you know, this and that, what stuck on was she wants a puppy. So that was like the first. And the second was the divorce, which happened when she was two and she's 10 now. That is the thing that feels complicated is the going back and forth. Her father also lives a few blocks away from us, the going back and forth back. She's like, my mom could date 100 people. She's like, I really don't want her to date 100 people. But she's like, that's not the thing that feels complicated. And divorce is not something that is exclusive to polyamorous relationships or queer relationships or... right. So, uh, yeah, so I'm asking, I'm wondering about that. Like, have you f- experienced that you've anything that you feel like is different or more challenging raising a child in this dynamic? You know, I think that's so similar with, because same thing, you know, my kiddo was two when we got divorced. And so, you know, they don't remember it at all. They have no concept of me ever living with their father or anything about our relationship. As they've gotten older, though, they have had more curiosity. Like, uh, wait, wait, why did you and daddy get divorced? And, and they're not sad about it. They're curious about it. And there is a bit of, you know, kids are still very much thinking in their own world. So it's like, well, I like my dad and I like you. Why don't you guys like each other very much? You know, <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> yes, and, I love that. And I it's kind of great because I don't want them to remember why we don't like each other very much, you know, and I'm thrilled that they didn't see that it was easy enough for me to look at the alternative, which was like, sure, a divorce situation maybe isn't ideal, but there isn't a way where these two people, me and my ex-husband having a child, this is the best way for that to work. Like us together wasn't doing anyone any favors, ourselves, you know, our futures, our kids. So that's been the 
probably the biggest challenge, just some of the like the back and forth of divorce and of scheduling and things like that. But, but the rest of it, like, I think it makes kids adaptable too. A thing I remember noticing when they were younger was things like if, if I would have just a friend over, they would always be like, are you going to sleep over? Which like, I, because I just, you know, when I was, when I was non-monogamous, I was dating other people and they knew that. And then I've also always had like, I just have like really close queer community and close friends. And I picture myself at that age, like my parents would never have another adult sleepover. <laughs> like what? That seems so weird. But to them, they're just like, oh, I just want to know if I can go to bed and not have FOMO. Like, will I see you in the morning or not? Yes. <laughs> yes. That is so, that's so funny because the same thing happens in my house. And I never thought about that, but that is a very, that is a question that's been asked. Are you going to stay over? Can right. I stay up too? <laughs> yeah. 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 I love this idea that the, the kids are appropriately narcissistic. Mm-hmm. Um, yes. Meaning that is just, this is, this is just what you're meant to be at that age. And yep. really they, really they just care about what they care about and the thing that people make a huge deal out of kids are just not even aware it's not even in their radar they don't yeah care and I also just think that my kiddo getting to grow up around all different types of people and just having an understanding of a really open conversation around sexuality and gender and all of that has let them help them you know have more space to figure out who they are Mm. absolutely my ex girlfriend. So the person I dated for four years, kind of in between my divorce and now, you know, was very much in my kid's life. And she transitioned in the middle of our relationship. So that was something that my kiddo got to see and understand firsthand. And just even just going to school and having a little bit of the like, like, why, like, why is your stepdad wearing makeup and being like, well, she's my stepmom now. Mm -hmm. bam that's it it's amazing it's fascinating I love that the kids are just like done move on like okay (laughs) so easy or or you know just telling them like oh so-and-so's pronouns changed like this kid has never gotten anyone's pronouns wrong ever and now even if I mention a friend they will say like she he or they I don't want to assume you know and it's just like this automatic like and I think you know I think they are who they are and would be no matter what but they're able to you know verbalize that maybe at a younger age because it's normalized I want to go back on something that I've just said because we've been talking about this life as being a complicated life and, and Jackie, we talk about your life being complicated as well. I want to reframe that. I want to go, instead of saying complicated, which has negative connotations, I want to go with an enriched life because I think that's what you both have where the kids are getting, it's not just complication for the sake of complication, but it's an enriched life that they're seeing a diverse set of experiences and people and emotions and, and high levels of communication and exposure to things that are very, very human. And they are processing that with support and love and help and they can, they're making sense of it all. So to me, actually, that is not a complicated life, but that is an enriched life. And I think that's actually what kids need. Effie and I have been talking about this and have a theory that one does need to have a higher tolerance for complexity or for navigating through lots of logistics and, you know, have a certain sense of emotional intelligence to kind of navigate through this space. So A, kind of want to name that and see if you think that's true too. This is not for everybody. (laughs) Some folks are like, that's not a work. Absolutely. Not interested in all that work. And that there is a distinction between complication and drama. Mm -hmm. Yes. 
And that sometimes things can feel, there's lots of people involved and lots of things, but that's there. That's drama. What you're describing is like, peaceful and there is there's synergy but it can be complicated it is enriched and so interested in in your thoughts on both those things number one is that idea that maybe for you do you feel like you have a higher tolerance for kind of navigating things that are a little bit more complicated and have you experienced a distinction between complication or to Effie's point kind of a more enriched life and drama (laughs) yeah I mean I think I definitely have a higher tolerance for complication. I, I think that's absolutely true. The drama idea is a really interesting way to frame it because as someone who, you know, as someone who was in polyamorous relationships for a very long time and who, you know, works with polyamorous people as part of my job, who like a lot of my friends are polyamorous. Sometimes I've gone through this thing of like, well, I'm monogamous now. So it looks like I'm saying there's like something wrong with polyamory. And I think a helpful way to frame it is that, so my heteronormative marriage, even though there was some non-monogamy in there, at least half of it was monogamous. There was a lot of drama in that relationship. And then my, my four-year relationship, polyamorous the whole way through, and at the beginning was complicated. But at the end, it turned into drama. And a lot of the drama was specific to polyamory, but not polyamory as a, as a concept, but the way polyamory was being practiced by the people involved. And now my relationship feels like it has complexities, but zero drama. And so I do think that these days, my, my tolerance for complexity is high. My tolerance for drama is non-existent. Nil. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> That's exactly how I feel. Nil. Yeah. Yeah. And so I think that being able to notice that like so many things come into play to make something, you know, complicated versus filled with drama. And it has a lot to do with intention and a lot to do with the specific people involved and where they are and, you know, kind of the work that they've done and what they're willing to put in and all of that. We just did an episode with Ariella, who is a queer coach, and she was talking about the distinction between having the checklist of things that you want in a partner in your life versus like feelings-based standards. How do I feel in this relationship? How do I feel about myself? How do I feel about the other person? How do they feel around me? And that really being the standard by which we create relationship and create life. And so with that kind of reflection, I'm wondering, what does this structure afford you that makes all those complications worth it? Like, how do you feel in this space that rises above the logistics of like, who has your child when and when are you going to see your partner, et cetera? Yeah, I feel, I mean, there's a sense of calm (laughs) just in general that I noticed with my partner, like conversations we've had where like, we have a sense of realism too, which is like, we haven't had a lot of conflict, but we both acknowledge that like conflict's going to come up. But I picture the way that conflict has showed up for me in other relationships in a really negative way. And like, she and I have already talked about like just this feeling of like, we know that let's, let's say there is this kind of conflict where one of us feels really angry. There's not going to be this yelling at each other. There's going to be, Hey, I don't feel 
good about this right now. Mm -hmm. And so Mm -hmm. I'll check in with you tomorrow. Mm. I think some of it kind of goes back to we've both been in therapy long enough that we have more secure attachment, that there isn't this like, I think that was a problem in a lot of past relationships for me was this like running towards a kind of drama. What I hear you saying too is that the more that you get to know yourself mm-hmm. and the more emotionally intelligent you can be, yes. that those things are probably the difference between drama <laughs> and calm in the midst of complication. Yes. Knowing yourself, having that internal GPS, and then having a most strong and high emotional intelligence that yeah. you can say, I'm actually not going to lead into this drama right now. Yeah. Yeah. Pull back. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, you know, and there's also just a, there's an, there's an emotional safety in this relationship, which leaves a lot of room for, you know, just, just like fun and excitement and joy and all of that. And so that, that's really present in this relationship too. Yeah. I look towards, you know, uh, maybe I don't know how things are going to look in five years, but I look at that with excitement and curiosity instead of like, instead of any kind of trepidation. I also think that once you heal your attachment wounds and spend time getting to at least to know them and to know how they drive you, if you kind of don't watch and and get to a sort of a healthy, wholesome place uh, with lots of self-awareness, as Jackie mentioned, you also end up aligning with other people who are in a similar place as you. I think that with unhealed attachment wounds, you end up in drama because that's just what like they just call each other. And I think that like exactly what you're saying, like once you've done your therapy, once you've done your work, once you've gotten to know yourself, you heal your attachment wounds, which most of us have. Um, you also end up attracting that. I think your pod right now, it sounds so stable with people that are all aligned in value and, and sort of looking into the future and supporting each other. And I'm hearing you say, you know, it's not hard, like it's complicated, but it's not like I'm, I'm not drowning, which is what from the outside people would imagine you'd be. And I think all of that is connected. I think you're just, once you've done the work and you heal, you also end up with people who've, who've done their work and healed. And so things are just easier. The, in, the interpersonal connections are just easier. Yeah, I think that's very true. I, so Corey, my partner, we knew each other 12 years ago. And it was at the time I was in a semi-non-monogamous, like a swinger kind of relationship with my husband. And when I met her, it was an immediate connection. And we ended up like, you know, we hooked up and it was the kind of thing where like my husband knew about it, but was very much like, okay, but like this needs to be a one-time thing. And I was like, oh yeah, yeah. You know, this is, this is casual. This is whatever. But like the feelings were super strong. And it was a time, I think both of us were in pretty chaotic spots in our lives and our friends were very, you know, invested in what was going on. And it just became this like super high drama situation. I almost left my husband for her and I decided not to. And he basically said like, I can't have you talk to her then. And so at the time, a combination of guilt and feeling like I didn't know how we could just be friends led me to say, like, I can't can't have you in my life. And it was super painful. And maybe like five years after that, like 
after I actually, probably after I was divorced, I reached out to her once with the, like, I'm so sorry about, you know, the way everything happened. And she responded kindly, but not in a way that felt like it was opening, you know, opening a door. And so I kind of left it at that. And then she was the one that reached out to me a year ago. And like, you know, it was, it was immediate. It was immediately back to where it was, you know, 11 years before. And I'm glad that we are where we are because I would have thought that I would experience some sadness that like this person I love so much, like wasn't in my life for 11 years. But I think that this is like the first example in my life of like the timing wasn't right then. And the timing is right now and how like how special that is and, and surprising and also not surprising at all, you know? Sure. Mm-hmm. I love that. I'm so glad you told that story because I do think that for so many folks, they, they feel like, yeah, that, that it didn't work out. And what does that mean? Just the fact that if you, you stayed on the path of staying connected to yourself and being true to yourself and then, you know, the universe or karma or, or kind of your internal GPS, whatever that is, brought you back to this person and to this relationship. Yeah. It's pretty incredible. Mm -hmm. That's pretty incredible. Yeah. At the beginning of this conversation, Jackie started off by saying, how did you end up with a family, you know, with a family like this, where, you know, it's an, a family that you just wouldn't have imagined when you were, you were younger. And in my head, I was like, yeah, like there's no Disney movie about this, you know? Yep. But now when I hear you, <laughs> when I see you say, say, say what you say about it at the end, I'm like, that is just so lovely. Like there should be a Disney movie about this. It it's such is a beautiful right. ending, you know? Like, it really there is. There should definitely right. be a Disney movie about this. Right. That there was love, but you weren't ready at that moment, at that time. Yeah. And that now you are and you're back in that space of love. I mean, that's gorgeous. It's beautiful. Yeah. I have one more question that actually comes from our audience, which is around how do you make time for yourself? Right. So how do you balance your needs and the needs of the, fo- of the folks in your pod? How have you developed some dedicated time to fill your spirit. Having listened to the show, I know that in the beginning, you both talk about self-care and how you create some time for that. And so interested in that. So many people, so many dynamics. How do you fit you into this? Well, I think I think the structure of it actually allows for that. You know, I I always say that I am a better parent because my child doesn't live with me full time. And I know that that, you know, that can sound controversial, but I mean, I've had, you know, I've talked to more like, like women in heterosexual relationships who are like, oh, you know, what do you, what do you do to have time to yourself? And I'm like, get, get divorced. (laughs) 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 But there is something to be said for having that space. So it lets me refresh in the same way that, and then I think like with my, with my girlfriend, we now granted, you know, COVID has been different and the pregnancy was different, but in general, we both have like really robust, like communities and interests. And so there are things that we share, but we also very much like enjoy our own alone time and enjoy time with like our community and enjoy like sharing that, introducing each other, you know, to our people. So I I just take time for myself. Just being able to experience being alone as like a chance to feel refreshed versus like a kind of anxiety, you know, what am I missing? What's going on has been huge. That's fantastic. That's fantastic. And true. 
this has been amazing. Uh, so nice to hear your story. It's so heartening and it's so warm. Like I said, like they should make a Disney movie out of it. And I love that how there's so much love across the board, you know, like from the, from the very, very outside partner supporting supporting in there's this like cascading love and support which i love and and, and i so appreciate you sharing your story with us because because it's, it's inspiring um and here we talk a lot about inspiration and permission um that's kind of a lot of one of our missions that we want to bring people inspiration and you're really it's through story um we bring inspiration to hopefully we bring inspiration to our audience to our listeners and permission just to bring people who are doing it you know to say look it's allowed just if it if it's working for you if everyone's consenting just like work at it and and make it happen it's allowed you know thank you so much for sharing your story uh before we let you go though we do have some rapid fire questions okay are you ready i'm ready Okay, what is one piece of advice that you would give to your younger self about love, sex, or relationships? It shouldn't be hard. Hmm, nice. And I know that's very that's very short and sweet, but like I, I think that would have I think that would have saved a lot for me. It's a true story. I love that. It's great advice. Okay. What is one romantic or sexual adventure on your bucket list? I want to learn how to tie knots. I've always been, you know, I've been in the world of interest in bondage, um, but always from kind of from a bottom perspective. Mm -hmm. And I also like, I'm not good at following directions, you know? So, but I've been, I think a lot of being in like the pandemic and just like learning how to do new things has been Mm -hmm. like, wait, I can learn, I can learn new things. So that's first on my list. Nice. I love that. I love that. Are you familiar with Midori? Yeah. You know who she is? Mm-hmm. Yes. She's, um, she's an excellent instructor. So if you're ever looking for someone. Yeah. Awesome. Uh, next question. Um, how do you challenge the status quo? Though it feels like a very redundant question at this point. <laughs> <laughs> I know. Kind of all of it, you know? Yeah. I, I mean, really, like the way, the way that I parent, just being a visibly queer person in the world, also in the work that I do, you know, working in, in the world of sex is challenging the status quo. So, yeah. That's fantastic. And then the last question is, what are you curious about lately? Honestly, so many things. Like... I think that that's been just, I can't, I can't even think of like one specific thing. It's been more that like, you know, I talked about how my, my kiddo experienced the, uh, the pandemic. And for me, it's been more like, what are these things that I can, you know, teach myself to do? And so I just, just like little things. Like I've been like trying to grow vegetables in my yard and doing more like arts stuff like make art making. That was always a thing that I was like, well, I can't draw, so I'm not an artist. And then being like, no, there's, so there's a lot that I, I don't know. I call them all like my grandma hobbies. So I've been really, (laughs) that's where my curiosity has been lately is just like learning new things. Great. Excellent questions. Thank you for your answers. They are enlightening. I love your advice, the, the, the relationship advice of it shouldn't be hard sound sound advice so thank you so much Lee for sharing your story 
and coming on the show and telling us how with ease you navigate through a, a wonderful, you know, different and, and ex- exemplary family and sharing all that story with us. So really, really nice having you on the show. So thank you. Thank you so much for having me. This was, this was a delight. Okay. Before we head off, I have something I need to get off my chest. Ooh, are we about to have a soapbox moment? <laughs> yep, we have a soapbox moment coming. Yeah. Okay, this has been on my mind for way too long, and I need it off my chest. And of course, this is why I have, this is why we have a podcast. Get things off my chest. <laughs> that is actually the sole reason why we developed this podcast. <laughs> it's just to have a platform to get these things over chest. Mm-hmm. Exactly, exactly. And I have a problem. Officially, I have a problem with ethical non-monogamy. What? (laughs) It makes no sense. I stand by the statement. I stand by the statement that I have no interest in ethical non-monogamy. I think it makes no sense. I think it is nonsense, in fact. And it's because I don't think there's such a thing as non-ethical non-monogamy, right? Mm. Non-ethical non-monogamy is called cheating. And if you're being fancy, infidelity or transgression. But ultimately, <laughs> non-ethical non-monogamy is not a thing. It is cheating. So why are we saying ethical non-monogamy? Mm. It seems like... I'm curious to why we insist on ethical non-monogamy where surely we want all relationships to be ethical. It's like, why are we putting a caveat in front of non-monogamy? Isn't ethical relationships just a baseline that you show up for your relationships in an ethical way? (laughs) We never talk about ethical monogamy, right? Is it because we assume monogamy is ethical by default, Mm. but somehow non-monogamy needs a caveat Mm. because it's somehow unethical by default. So we have to make all the exceptions and say, oh, don't worry, don't worry. It's non-monogamy, but it is ethical (laughs) non-monogamy. It's like, what are we doing? It just makes no sense. And this thing, like, it's been on my mind for every time someone says ethical non-monogamy. I'm like, why are we saying ethical non-monogamy? We would never say ethical monogamy. And there's no Mm. such a thing as non-ethical anything. That's just like cheating and being a shitty partner. So I don't (laughs) get it. And I am. it started off as a simple curiosity. Now it's developed into a straight-up irritant in my mind. (laughs) And as of now, I am starting a movement to stop shoving qualifiers in front of non-monogamy. And Mm. there is no such a thing as ethical non-monogamy from now on in my world. Done. <laughs> I am so in love with everything that just happened. Yes. I never, honestly, I never thought about that before. You're 100% right. I never thought about it. It just was, which shame on me, right? Because we're all about challenging the status quo. I was just like, that's what it's called. So that's what we say consensual non monogamy, ethical non monogamy. We, we have the acronyms. Like, that's the thing we do. But you're right, though. Non monogamy without it being ethical, is infidelity. <laughs> exactly. Just, yes. And you're, Ron, you're also right that we would never say, I have an ethical marriage. <laughs> right? In my marriage, we're ethical. We right. are consensual in this relationship. Exactly. It's like the same with the consensual non-monogamy. It's like, there is no such a thing as non-consensual non-monogamy. Again, it's cheating and we should call it cheating 
but for some reason we have to say consensual non-monogamy like you would never say consensual monogamy either yeah but i think that you're 100% right i think it's because we are anticipating the pushback from the status quo world who's saying wait you're doing what and we're like no 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 it's okay it's okay <laughs> Don't worry. It's ethical. It's consensual. It's all good. We're all good here. You're right. We are going to have to now go through our website and all of our blogs. And now, and actually, we should leave the consensual or, not, or ethical in there and just cross it out. Oh, I love that. I think that's actually even more of a statement. Yes. Yes. I think we just like strike it through, but leave it there. Cause then I think people are like, wait, what? What? <laughs> totally. And we should just write a blog just explaining mm-hmm. why we're doing that. And just for every uh, ethical that's like uh, strike through links to this blog and saying, yes. don't put a caveat, don't justify, don't explain your relationship structure. It is what it is. You're non-monogamous. Right. Mm-hmm. And you live it out the way that you live it out. Just like monogamous people live out their yes. monogamous lives. Hopefully with ethics, hopefully with consent, hopefully with kindness, hopefully with compassion, filled with joy, love and connection, period. Yes, you're absolutely right. That should be the default. Yes, none of us are saying, I'm an ethical professional. I'm an ethical parent. That is, we assume that that's that's the case. (laughs) Right. Unless otherwise noted. Yeah. My mind is blown. Effie Blue. And my mind is lighter because it's been <laughs> on my mind for too long. I'm just like getting more. Every time I see it, I get like I said, it was a curiosity. I was like, huh, that's really interesting. Why do we somehow justify? Like, why are these caveats? Why do we say ethical monogamy? Why do we say consensual monogamy? Why do we say, I'm just like, why, why, why? And then it just became an irritant. And it's been on my mind. It's been weighing my mind down. It's been annoying. It's now out of my life. Thank you for listening, everyone. I appreciate you so much. We will do a blog post. We will do a social media post so that when people go now, moving forward, we have to give us some time to do it because we have full-time jobs. So we're not going to go through our website today, but at some point, (laughs) we will go through the website. We will strike out every ethical (laughs) and consensual that's on there. Yes. Yes. Let's start this movie. I encourage you. Now that, that the world is opening back up and people are going back to events, they're going back to open events, they're going back to play parties even, mm-hmm. go into said event and just proclaim <laughs> ethical non-monogamy makes no sense to me. There is <laughs> yes. no such thing as consensual non-monogamy yes. and then see what happens. I encourage it. I love that. And I uh, would love to hear your thoughts on this too. Uh, but the movement, it's officially, it started right here, right now. Yay. Yay. If you like this episode and you want to learn more about Lee, follow her on social media at sexcoachlee and on her website at sexcoachlee.com and check out her handmade zine about sex, self-care and relationships at queerlovezine.smvi.co. You can also tune into her podcast, Queers Next Door, wherever you listen to podcasts and find them on Instagram at Queers Next Door. If you enjoyed this conversation and you want more of it, then I have a challenge for you. I would love for you to share this podcast with two people. If they don't know how to save, if they don't know how to follow, then you can go the extra mile and tell them how to do that too. But all you have to do is share this right now with two people, like it, save it, subscribe. If you're on, if you're on Apple Podcast, you can... Follow us if you're on Spotify or Stitcher. 
rate the show, leave a review. Those are all bonus points. If you are someone who is a high achiever and likes those gold stars, I will send you all the gold stars if you do all those things. But at the very least, just share this with two other folks. Help us change the noise and challenge the status quo and help us to tell the algorithm podcast gods that people like the show and they want more of this in their lives. And if you like what you hear, but want to hear something new, have a different topic in mind, have a curiosity that you would like us to explore, then you can let us know by emailing us at listening at we are curious foxes or sending us a voice memo to that same email address. Or you can even record your question or your story. Maybe we'll play it on the show by calling us at 201-870-0063. You can find more about Effie, myself, and the Curious Fox crew on Instagram at Facebook at We Are Curious Foxes. If you join our Facebook group, then you can have conversations about the podcast, what you love, what you have questions about, what you want to hear more of, and Finally, for those extra curious folks out there, join our Patreon. Not only will you be a supporter of the Curious Fox community, but you will have access to things that the general population does not have access to. More Effie, more Jacqueline, more bonus features and podcast extras, opportunities to ask questions to our podcast guests, and... For your membership, you also get access to every single event that we have done over the past few years. All of our online events, all of our in-person events, we recorded them, we videotaped them, all of the educator-led events. There's some really sexy stuff up there. There's some fun stuff up there. There's interesting stuff up there. And you can have access to it all and binge it instead of Netflix over the weekend when all you have to do is go into Patreon to find us at We Are Curious Foxes. This episode is produced and edited by Nina Pollock, who's a part of our not-so-complicated chosen family. Our intro music is composed by Dave Saha. We are so grateful for their work. And we're grateful to you for listening. As always, stay curious, friends. Curious Fox Podcast is not and will never be the final word on any topic. We solely aim to encourage curiosity and provide a space for exploration through connection and story. We encourage you to listen with an open and curious mind and we'll look forward to your feedback. Stay curious, friends. Stay curious. Stay curious. Stay curious. Stay curious. Stay curious. Stay curious. Stay curious.